0: Levinson and welcome to Light On Light Through, episode 37. A conversation with Robert Sawyer, the wonderful science fiction writer. Rob and I have been friends for years. I had this conversation with him actually a few months ago, but I was waiting for just the right time to play it, and that time is now after a several week hiatus in Light On Light Through. I was up on Cape Cod having a great time writing the sequel to the plot to save Socrates, so I thought I'd take a few weeks off from light on, light through. But what better way to come right back in than with this conversation with Rob Sawyer. We started by my asking him about his latest novel, but we also went on to talk about all kinds of things, a trip that almost could have gone to Mars back in the mid-1960s, Not that Rob and I were on, but it was possible. And many other things, including the nature of science fiction, its ultimate value to humanity. But why don't I stop talking now and let me give you this conversation that I had with Rob Sawyer. So why don't we start with your telling me and all of my Legion listeners here uh, about your new novel. Sure. My new book is called Rollback, and it's about rolling back people's ages. It's about
1: the scientific prospect of rejuvenating people. Um, I thought about subtitling the book A Scientific Romance, which, of course, is the phrase that was used for H.G. Wells' stories before we had the name science fiction. And it's because it actually is, in part, also a love story. Uh, It's about an elderly couple. The woman in the couple is a SETI researcher, Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, who was Mm -hmm. instrumental in decoding the first-ever signal from the stars. And now, at her uh, age of 87, on the 60th wedding anniversary of her and her husband, a reply to the signal that she had sent is received. She's offered a rollback, so she can keep this dialogue going on. Communicating across interstellar distances exceeds what can be done in a human lifespan.
0: I love that actually, and um, you know, I I I think you really should call it a scientific romance if uh, if David Hartwell, (laughs) our mutual editor, would let you do that. Uh, Because, as you know, science fiction often gets a bad rap that, uh, you know, it's all ideas and no characterization. But, you know, good science fiction, such as yours, uh, has always had good characterization. Well, thank you, and yours as well. And
1: I think you hit the nail exactly on the head. It is science fiction. And that doesn't mean that it's science that's made up. It means it's fiction, storytelling, character, uh, the human heart. Uh, with a scientific backdrop, and I think that's so crucial to what the uh, the really good stuff in the field is. When it just is dry, pedantic, uh, you know, and there's a danger for that. A lot of hard SF does tend to be that way. It loses readers left, right, and center. But I, I feel, and I know you feel, that science is a wonderfully exciting, passionate field, and it should be told with characters who are full of passion and excitement
0: absolutely you know i just came across uh, an article online on a place called dig digg that i often talk about uh, on my podcast uh, you should look into it also by the way it's uh, it just is constantly percolating with various Pieces, uh, and as long as they have URLs, they can get posted there. And uh, there was a, a story about uh, some scientists who are realizing that bacteria, of all things, can be useful in strengthening buildings against earthquakes. And, um, you know, I, I, I wrote about bacteria in my novel, The Consciousness Plague, uh, and other people have written about them also. But it's, it's, it's absolutely uh, fascinating to think about, you know, on the one hand, this comes under the heading of science, but on the other hand, it's, you know, it's a, it's a literal life and death uh, kind of scenario. You know, imagine a, a, an earthquake and buildings are shaking and a building survives because there just happened to be the right bacteria at its uh, at its foundation. I mean,
1: isn't that amazing? And that's part of the joy of science fiction as a literature is we live in this incredibly mind-blowing universe. And the the scope of ideas that people are coming up with these days, it just it, it's uh, transcendental. The stuff that we're we're dealing with in the pages of real science, and we science fiction writers get to take that one step further and really look at the human ramifications of all of this, which is such a treat to get to do.
0: Absolutely, and uh, you know I know that you agree with this. Uh, I, I often say that uh, you have all writing in one category and then science fiction in another category because science fiction is really the only kind of writing that deals with the quintessential element of what makes us human which is going beyond uh, you know what we have you know
1: you're absolutely Uh, right I've often said
0: we're stuck with this name I mean I I use that
1: phrase a scientific romance which Wells used Uh, we're stuck with this name science fiction because it happened to be the one that stuck Hugo Gernsback of course gave us that particular terminology. I've never liked the name. I've always thought that it would be better thought of as philosophical fiction. And we could have almost as silly a name for it. Science fiction, of course, gets known as sci-fi. Philosophical fiction would be fi-fi, which would be perfectly fine (laughs) with me. It's the literature of ideas and literature. You're exactly right, of the meaning of life, of what our place is in the universe. And also, it's the only literature that has any kind of sweep to it, by which I mean it deals with not just this week, this month, this year, but where we came from, the inertia that's behind us, and what it's driving us towards decades and even centuries down the road. It really contextualizes humanity in a much larger way than any other kind of writing does.
0: Absolutely, and even when you talk to hard scientists and you see what's going on with their work, what makes it really the most interesting is uh, very often the, the, the combination of social and philosophical factors. I heard Freeman Dyson uh, give a talk last week um, about a, something I barely knew about, uh, something called the Orion Project, as distinct from the current Orion yes, spacecraft.
1: Yes, yes, yes. The, yeah, the and old nuclear powered
0: uh, spaceship project. Exactly right. And, you know, we might have made it to Mars in 1965, and the reason we didn't, and, you know, I couldn't help thinking here is the makings of a great, you know, science romance or philosophic fiction, as you're saying, or science fiction novel. The reasons we didn't was not because of a failure uh, in the technology. But because of the the, the social matrix just wasn 't supportive, and in particular, you know people were frightened there'd be nuclear fallout, and you know John F. Kennedy had all he could do to get us going to the moon, and he couldn 't take on an additional Mars project but the, it, it's those elements, those human elements, that often determine whether science uh, makes it or not in any case
1: totally totally uh, you know one of my favorite films and you're of the right era too for it certainly to have probably been one of yours was. 2001 A Space Odyssey. When that was being conceptualized, uh, Clark actually suggested to Kubrick that they use an Orion-style nuclear bomb-propelled system for discovery, the spaceship in that film. Now, Kubrick had just come off of having done Dr. Strangelove, which ends with a huge number of nuclear explosions, and he decided we won't meet again. We're not going to go down that particular route in this film. But yet the politics and the sociology of science, you and I write about that all the time. Kim Stanley Robinson, one of our colleagues, of course, has made quite the uh, the, the, the big thing of that in his latest trilogy, uh, you know, 40 Signs of Rain and and, and its two sequels. That So much of the way our world is shaped isn't just the science, but the sociology around it.
0: Absolutely, and you did a wonderful job in... Uh, as I've often mentioned to you, with all of your great works, these are still my favorite three novels that you uh, wrote, and, and I think they're really classic in the field, your dinosaur trilogy. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Uh, th- th- in, in case our readers don't know, th- this is basically a trilogy about dinosaurs, but it's essentially about the scientific revolution. That's
1: exactly right. It's uh, The trilogy uh, cl- collectively is called the Quintaglio Ascension. Individually, the books are Farseer, Fossil Hunter, and foreigner and they're available uh, from Uh, the books are retellings of pivotal moments in human scientific history but at some remove and in disguise and what I've done is I've created an alien world where dinosaurs uh, transplanted from earth have survived to the present day so the first one is a retelling of the Galileo story and uh, the the conflict between uh, Galileo and the Roman Catholic Church Uh, the second one is a retelling of the Darwin story and again, Darwin, and lo and behold, that darn Roman Catholic Church again. Uh, and the <laughs> third one is actually a, a retelling of the story of Sigmund Freud. And regardless of what anybody thinks today of Freud, he was the first to really recognize and put out for discussion the notion that we're driven by subconscious forces that we aren't, you know, overtly aware of. And... I, I'm glad that you're still fond of that series. Now, I wrote the book some time ago, but they're, they're still in print and doing well for me. Um, but, yeah, the idea of exploring the sociology around the science, of exploring the religious response to breakthroughs in science and technology, uh, I think is one of the great things that science fiction gets to do that you almost never see being done anywhere else without it being totally polarized uh, to begin with, you know. You can find any number of books about creationism and any number of books about evolution. And people go into the bookstore and they self-select, based on their own pre-existing views on these things, which one they're going to pick up. Are they going to pick up Michael Behe, who is uh, you know the intelligent design movement, or are they going to pick up Richard Dawkins, who is the hardcore evolutionist? What we get to do in science fiction is say, We're not going to tip our hand. The labels aren't going to be clear up front. You're going to go into an issue and maybe look at it with a fresh perspective because we don't make it easy for you to decide up front whether or not this reinforces your existing beliefs. And, of course, the job we're trying to do is shake people up, get them out of that complacency, and start to really look at the issues and make up a fresh set of views on them.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, apropos of uh, the Roman Catholic Church and its opposition to so much of uh, science, uh, as uh, many of my listeners know, and you know, Rob, I, I teach at Fordham University, which is a Jesuit institution. I mean, it's fascinating because I'm Jewish in the first place, so what am I doing at Fordham University? But, uh, but actually, it's, it's a lot of fun. And, um, you know, the Jesuits um started as part of the counter reformation which sounds like it's something benighted but actually w- what they were trying to do is l- look at how the church could be more out there in the world and could actually be part of science rather than against science and actually I, I can't think of his name but i'll put it in the show notes i found out just the other day that the pope's astronomer is visiting fordham university this term oh, so, I mean, uh, brother
1: guy Consamio is the uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yes brother guy uh, his book actually one of his books is called brother astronomer and he frequents science fiction conventions uh, he's a wonderful guy And I remember seeing Brother Guy being accosted uh, in the green room where panelists prepare at ReaderCon, uh, which is the great Boston area uh, literary science fiction convention. Some guy kind of swaggered up to him and said, what does the Pope need with an astronomer? And, of course, the immediate response is, and, and to give all fairness and credit to the Roman Catholic Church, is they needed an astronomer so they don't repeat the mistakes they made in the past. The Roman Catholic Church is contrite about its treatment of Galileo, and is trying, as any large, uh, you know, institution with huge inertia, trying as best it can to uh, to deal with the fact that we live in a world that does have verifiable scientific realities. And, and Brother Guy is a wonderfully uh, entertaining speaker. Uh, if you have when he's at Fordham, by all means, go and see him.
0: Yeah, I'm absolutely go- going to do that. And uh, you know, of course, uh, you know, it's important to bear in mind that what the Church was doing in its opposition to Galileo is, is in effect, holding on to another scientific theory, uh, Ptolemy's uh, astronomy, which actually, uh, given the fact that he was wrong about uh, the Earth. Of course, not being the center uh, of the universe, was remarkably accurate. His equations were, were so good that the one thing he was right about, which is that the moon revolves around the Earth, I saw once that you could actually send a you know a ship to the moon based on Ptolemy's equations, and it would get yeah, there. Yeah, that's
1: so right, absolutely right.
0: Yeah, so, so it, it is a, a fascinating thing. And of course, then the, the other uh, aspect, which I, I always think about, is. Um, there are, there are still things when you push to the limits, you know, the nature of infinity, for example. You know, where does the universe end? You know, what are we doing here in this, in this world um, and in this universe? Uh, well, first of all, we can only get better answers to them by getting out into space. But e- even beyond that, it doesn't seem that science, certainly in the immediate future, is going to provide any answers to that. So, you know, in terms of... And, and I think science fiction helps deal with that as well. In a sense... It's not surprising that uh, Brother Guy loves science fiction because I think there is uh, a sort of similarity between science fiction and any kind of spiritual interest.
1: You know, you're exactly right. And uh, they tend to be, you, you can find a certain amount of hostility being expressed uh, by a certain hardcore component of the science fiction readership whenever that word spiritual or even that word quest comes up. Um, but in fact, they both are attempts. There's, they're a recognition in both cases that there is something bigger than us. And I used this word earlier. Contextually, we belong to a very large universe and cosmos. Uh, and we're looking for meaning. And in science fiction, we're looking for meaning, and it's uh, most often a secular sort of meaning, but it's still that impulse. Uh, there's that great history of um, the science fiction field by Alexei and Corey Panshin called The World Beyond the Hill. And it's exactly what it's all about, this insatiable curiosity as a species we have to go climb the hill to see what's on the other side. We can't stop wondering what's going on over there and what's beyond the horizon. It's the same impulse and, and this uh, antipathy that you sometimes encounter between the two camps is is surprising, isn't it?
0: It's, it's very surprising, and uh, I think, though, that the really best science fiction writers, and, and I include you among them, uh, uh, wouldn't have any antipathy, of course, because w- what science fiction is is a, a tableau in which you can explore these things. And, uh, you know, you're, you're unburdened by having to uh, put in footnotes. Obviously, you have to have verisimilitude. You you know you can't r- write about things that just are scientifically flatly impossible. Uh, but that leaves you a lot of room to explore you know these edges and uh, and play around with that. And uh, you, you know I knew Isaac Asimov a little. Um, he you know of course was an arch rationalist, but at the same time he he obviously had the same kind of uh, feeling. So probably the the only people who don't like that. Are probably some benighted fans. Oh, absolutely! (laughs) You
1: mentioned Asimov. The other one who's often cited as sort of the patron, and I use this word advisedly, saint of the skeptical movement, is Carl Sagan. Contact, the novel, is a novel that ends with an affirmation of intelligent design. The end of the book, and I, I don't want to give it away for anybody, but I'm going to. The end of the book has the SETI researchers discovering, not in a message from the stars, but in actually mapping out to an almost infinite number of digits uh, the value of pi. They find inside pi pictograms that were coded into the fundamental constants of the universe by the designer of the universe. And Sagan identifies it as, and he uses this phrase, the artist." signature even those who are most rational and most skeptical still can't help but in their quiet moments to sit and wonder whether there's meaning to it all and 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 Sagan's novel even if you've seen the movie just go and and pick it up at a bookstore or a library and read the last chapter you'll be quite amazed by what he actually says in the book
0: absolutely and it's always a good idea to uh to pick up the book and read it in addition to uh, to seeing the movie because you do get a different feeling uh, from uh, from reading than seeing a movie. Of course, I haven't yet gotten to the point. There was a very low-budget movie made of one of my stories, The Chronology Protection Case, and I know, Rob, that you've, you have several of your novels optioned. I'm looking forward to the day when I can see one of your n- novels on the screen. Um, but even then, I'll always tell people to read the, uh, the book as That's well. That's right. Uh, the the uh, best
1: quote I heard about this recently, uh, somebody was saying to an author who had had a film made, how could you let them do that to your book? Because it had not been a faithful adaptation. And the author said, quite rightly, they didn't do a single thing to my book. Here it is. The book hasn't changed at all.
0: That's great, and I know uh, David Brin said something along those lines, too. Of course, uh, The
1: Postman was made of his, and it was a terrible film of what I thought was a really great book.
0: I agree, I, and I, I didn't even think it was that bad a film. I, or the first half of it was good anyway, right, and it fell apart later. Um, listen, we only have a few minutes left because um, I, I want to keep this to about 20 minutes. Um, maybe you can tell us a little bit about uh, what your next uh, piece of work will be about.
1: Sure. I Rollback is this novel... That's dealing with rejuvenation, and it's dealing with um, aging, and it also deals with SETI, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. But I wanted to move away from any kind of science fictional trope in my next uh, project and still do something science fictional. So what I'm doing is a trilogy that's got the working title of the WWW Trilogy. It's about the World Wide Web gaining consciousness. In other words, I'm not bringing in aliens, I'm not bringing in time travel, I'm not bringing in faster than light travel, I'm just saying, hey, look, we've been haphazardly building something that has already exceeded the complexity of the human brain in terms of interconnections and will soon vastly exceed it. We know that when that complexity point was reached in the biological world, consciousness spontaneously emerged. Could that conceivably happen on the platform that we've created, uh, which is the World Wide Web? And if so, how will we relate to it? And I'm having a blast doing the trilogy. The first volume will be called Wake, the second one will be called Watch, and the third one will be called Wonder. And it's, it's science fiction on Earth dealing with nothing but extrapolating not made-up technologies, but the technology that already exists here and now.
0: That sounds spectacular, and what I also like about that is anyone, anytime anyone talks about the web, or anytime uh, we see www, it'll be a good way of promoting your trilogy. And that's you know that's so.
1: right. And I called my current book Rollback in hopes that every time somebody sees a Walmart commercial,
0: <laughs> they'll want to buy my book. Okay. Listen, Rob, it's been great uh, talking to you and uh, to our listeners. Rob and I are going to continue talking after we end this and uh, you know maybe someday I'll tell you about that. But at this point we pretty much have to wrap up the interview. So Rob, thanks a million. My it's pleasure, great talking Paul. to you. Thank you. You're welcome. The Light on Light Through Podcast is proud to be part of the Blueberry Network. That's Blueberry with no dot com. And now a word from our new sponsor, go to my PC. Communication theorists know that there are two kinds of information that we need to thrive in this world. One kind of information comes from the mass media, newspapers, radio, television. The other is information that we ourselves may create or write. Now, you can get the information on radio and television and the Internet just about anywhere. So what do you do when you have some very valuable information that's on your home computer and you're out there traveling somewhere, maybe across town, across the country? Use PC, and you'll discover the power and freedom of the web. Try it free right now for 30 days with unlimited access. For this special offer, just visit GoToMyPC.com forward slash podcast. That's go to mypc.com forward slash podcast. You're listening to a Runaway Network podcast from RunawayNetwork.com. Yes, indeed. And the LightOnLightThrough.com podcast is now proud to be part of two networks the Blueberry Network, which is sweet. And the runaway network, which is very edgy. And in fact, you'll find a lot of sweet and edgy stuff in the lightonlightthrough.com podcast. Trashy. The sopranos as a whole, and its ending in particular, will surely take its place next to Shakespeare.. Trashy. So, David Chase has given us a Sopranos or the Tiger ending. He's the princess. He knows what's behind the door of darkness. Anyhow, David Chase, of course, could have done whatever he wanted with the Sopranos, and that's just what he did. He chose to put in a deliberately, radically unfinished ending. And in so doing, I think he's in effect issued a challenge to all of us. All of us closure junkies. Are we ready to kick the habit and at least consider going to the other side? Promo. And that's the sweet music of our promo suite. That means we're coming to the end of this episode of Light On, Light Through, but coming up you'll hear a great promo for Mike Thinks, MikeThinks.com, the savviest podcast in town. Go over and take a listen, you'll definitely enjoy it. Hey, and you're going to hear a promo for Sean Farrell's patio book of my first novel, The Silk Coat. And Sean has actually finished the patio book now. As a special treat, you'll hear an interview that Sean did with me. Actually, I don't know how much of a treat it is for you to hear more of my voice, but Sean did do a very good interview, and you can hear that now, as well as the complete patio book. You can get it on iTunes. You can get it on Sean's webpage. Just go over to lightonlightthrough.com, and you'll find a link for it and Sean just became a father about two weeks ago. Sean, love to you, your wife Brenna, and your newborn baby boy, Connor Drake Farrell, who may not realize it yet, but he has been born into a family with someone who will go on to be a great writer. That's right, Brenna, No, actually, I'm sure Brenna is a great writer, but you, Sean, I expect great things of you, and I'm looking forward to someday going into a bookstore and seeing many of your novels on the shelf. So much love to you and your new family. And you'll also hear a promo for the Punk Horror Podcast as well. So listen, it's been great talking to you. I look forward to talking to you next time. In the meantime... Sit back, relax, and enjoy. <laughs>
1: Check out the Mike Thinks Podcast, www.mikethinks.com. News and current events with an opinion. The Mike Thinks Podcast. It's the news you missed. www.mikethinks.com. The Locus Award-winning novel by Paul Levinson comes to life in this free podcast novel. Journey into the Ancient World witness the wonder of ages past and join Phil D'Amato in a struggle against forces both ruthless and unseen visit www.thesilkcode.blogspot.com to learn more about the author and the novel and subscribe today at patiobooks.com join the battle witness the wonder or forever be victim to the awe and power of the Silk Code Phil D'Amato is ready are you?
0: Punk Horror
1: Podcast, coming to you every other week from Punk Horror Press, featuring The Punk and the Pastor, a movie review show featuring Gabriel Giannis and Stacy Campbell, and author Red. This shit, featuring the best in horror and punk fiction. Don't miss it. Subscribe now at www.punkhorror.com.